You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. Welcome to the latest episode of the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast. I'm your host, Igrani Yu. Today, I'm speaking with Eric Jost. Eric is the Global Head of Property and Casualty at Willis Towers Watson, the third largest insurance broker in the world. Hello, Eric. Thanks for making the time to speak with me. Thanks for uh, offering the time to me, Granny. I'm looking forward to it. Absolutely. Now, I have lots of questions, uh, but I wanted to start with a bit of background. Uh, Tell me a little bit about your role at Willis Towers Watson and your uh, areas of focus there. Uh, Sure. Happy to. Uh, We do three things just at Willis Towers Watson, which is simply in the category of people, risk, and capital. We're a merge business, and, and that actually will speak to some of the things I'll talk about. And, and I, uh, we're three years away from a merger. I generally focus my time in the risk part of our business, not exclusively, and, a, and I'm part of our global leadership team. Uh, for me, that's, I do a lot of work around strategy and connectivity. So how do we follow global trends where clients want, to, want service and, and action globally, uh, in addition, um, I do a lot of work around client experience. So what's our delivery like? Consistency when it's relevant? What are our skills? How do those skills need to change? Are we providing enough context for clients in a complicated world? Connected to that, I do. I look after all our technology. You know, that's everything from rationalizing some of the historical things in the tech stack to investing and innovating around uh, new areas uh, where uh, you know, we've been pretty active. And then finally, I spend a lot of time looking for opportunities between our bigger business units in the firm. When, 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 when do we have companies that actually want to combine a conversation about risk with a conversation about people? It's not for everybody, uh, but when it's there, we spend a lot of time doing it. Fascinating. And certainly a lot of opportunities for cross-pollination as, as this world kind of becomes a little bit more blended. Uh, I imagine that there would be more opportunities for those types of conversations. Yeah, we, um, you know, I think we're all seeing those types of things. And, and, and it's not a struggle. It's just, you know, remembering to meet the clients where they are. Certain clients we have want that conversation and realize that there's nothing in the risk world that isn't either firstly or greatly impacted by how people behave. And that's an oversimplification. So if you really want to deal with risk, you got to deal with people. Um, so that, I think everyone makes that connection. You know, is their business and the way they want to run the business in a place where they want to act in that fashion today? Not always, but the ones that are, we're ready for. And the ones that aren't, we're sort of prepping the environment so that as we get more use cases, uh, we can sort of make that clearer to people, if that makes any sense. Mm-hmm, absolutely. And I imagine that uh, personally, you've seen quite a lot of changes in the insurance industry. I understand that you've been at Aon, Allianz, uh, and and previously at Willis prior to the merger. And obviously, our world has changed tremendously over that period of time. I'm curious, what are some of the biggest changes you've seen in the insurance industry over that time? Um, oh, that's a good question. And it's sort of, uh, I la- um, you know, I'm sort of smiling a little bit. Uh, because it, uh, when I was younger, I used to ask that question a lot, particularly when I saw people that mentored me retire. Uh, you know, what were the biggest changes you've seen? And so now I'm feeling a little aged at this point based on the fact that you <laughs> asked the question the way you did, uh, which, is, which is completely fine. I mean, I think of it in four categories, speed, data and analytics, just the size of the market and broker consolidation. And I'll just 
expound a little bit. You know, from a speed, uh, technology really influences the first two things. I mean, speed, if, you know, when I came into the business, it was letters, it was faxes, um, you know, now it's internet, now it's email. Um, there's a lot of good things that that's brought, but by the same token, what I have noticed that I don't really enjoy is, um, you know, when you were using a letter, the writing and the thoughtfulness that went into that letter uh, was very deep. And to some degree, as the speed is turned on in the industry, there's been a decrease in thoughtfulness to some degree and a decrease in context, uh, if that makes any sense. It just things, information's moving, but no one's kind of putting it together for people as well as they used to. And so uh, a change that's very helpful for efficiency and moving information and making decisions is terrific. I'm not sure that we're always good as an industry at helping our clients see through that complexity. And I'll say something like this, is the, as the amount of content and information increases, the risk we face is the context goes away. And I think some of that's happening. Uh, we're, we're working really hard, and we'll, we won't be perfect, but to try and get even uh, from a millennial point of view, get people to slow down and to really challenge each other with, you know, what is, it, what is the message and the narrative you're delivering, not, as, not the how fast can you respond. On the positive side, uh, technology has really helped on the data and analytics, uh, it, it, and, and not that we didn't have data and analytics, but the speed, the, 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 the available data sets, the access to information more quickly has been terrific. You're now able to bring almost any situation to almost any risk situation, better quantitative outputs to measure the risk, to measure the choices than we've ever been able to do before. Um, that doesn't mean that the world is, you know, being, the insurance world is being run by machines or everything is quantitative. All this quantitative output uh, and insight is getting complemented by experience, constraints companies have, what peers do, but it's very complementary. And from 30 years ago, the math, the quantitative sort of input really wasn't there. And there was a lot, there was just too much weight on experience and um, war stories, if, uh, if I want to be negative about it and things like that. So I think that's really helpful. I also think that the data and the analytics that we're, we're building today and getting better and better around how we organize data will drive innovation in the next 10 years. It's a critical component to get other participants in the market. So I'm very optimistic. And you know, the last two things are I mentioned, just the scale of what is insured these days. We want to insure more. We can look at you know, post disasters and go, there should have been more insurance purchased. But if it's just the scale of how the market's grown along with the world economy is amazing to me when I just was kind of looking at old numbers and new numbers. And then the last thing, which probably has some good and bad in it now is, you know, I work for a very large broker. We've been a consolidator. Aon, where I worked before, is a, was a consolidator of brokers. There's a lot of uh, things that have come out of a large amount of broker consolidation that's gone on over the last really 20 years. And the consolidation that continues, um, you know, you have the, 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 what was the top 20 brokers is really concentrated almost in the top three or four now. There's many great things about, uh, you know, the, the scale we're able to bring that brings many more specialists to bear than we could ever have possibly afford in the past. That brings technology leverage across the whole business. And then, you know, on the bad side, I don't necessarily think consolidation is bad, but it creates perceptions around lack of choice or market power that uh, you know can be challenging for us to to sort of not defend, but to just talk about and articulate around. 
my sense is if I talk to clients, and I do quite often, they're not short on choice. Um, there's plenty of choice. There's plenty of competition. But I can see where this concentration of power can uh, be positioned differently uh, in people's mind. And, uh, you know, that's not always a great thing. Certainly. And those four changes really have transformed the industry. And in particular to insurance brokers, the actual people who are working in that field. I mean, there's this old school picture of insurance is bought and sold at the kitchen table. And <laughs> to some extent, that's probably still happening. But you know, in what ways has the role of the broker, uh, of brokers themselves changed over that time? Yeah, I mean, I, that's the stereotype you described it, um, and and, uh, and and to some degree, I'd agree it still is out there. And I think in some cases that's a good thing. Uh, but the way I look at it from where I sit is when I first came in the industry, there was um, there was a lot of pressure around what today are more basic things, which is you know clients needed insurance to protect them. It was uh, even the very large customers, uh, the balance sheets weren't so fortress-like as they are today. So actually just placing insurance and the process you went through, not just the, the, was insurance available in some cases, in other cases, how much insurance can I buy because the market wasn't fully developed. And another, obviously there's always how much does it cost? Um, and so there was a lot of effort around the placement and getting people to understand the process they're going through, physically bringing people around the world to different insurers to reinforce, you know, I'm serious about this. Here's a, I, can, I can tell you a more nuanced story about why I manage risk better and so forth and so on. Um, now, if I transition to today, it's not that that work doesn't exist. It does all those things still do matter, but to some degree or another, we've brought as an industry a lot of efficiency to that. I mean, I can literally have a broker in the middle of the United States today um, into the global market with, you know, you know, whether it's through email or through one of our bro broking platforms, you know, within a matter of minutes from the time they start to think about, okay, here's a way to describe what the client's doing, here's what I'm looking for. Um, that isn't relevant for every single one of our customers, but that's an amazing shift from when I wanted to do that 30 years ago. That was a you know four or five day piece of work. I was assembling giant binders of information that wasn't necessarily structured technologically, and I was shipping it in FedEx and UPS boxes all over the world, and then following up with faxes and phone calls. Now, so, so we've made that part of it very efficient. It's still very valuable, price transparency, price arbitrage, things like that. But what we're doing more of is that, you know, we've, we talk about the advisory side of our business. And too often when we talk about it, we tend to say, well, the, the world's moving to advisory and therefore the broking or placement part of the business is going away. And it's not. Where we, what we're doing is more. We're still doing all that transactional work. And then we're doing things now and this would be a subset, but um, things around straight up risk management for our clients, helping them get inside the problem and think about the risk or the problem they're trying to solve. You're listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast with your host, Igrana Yu. If you like what you're hearing and would like to hear more podcasts from Accenture, try Talking Agility, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at enterprise agility. Leading experts cover what it is, why it matters, and most of all, how to achieve it. Visit Accenture.com slash Talking Agility. Now, 
Back to the Insurance Influencers Podcast. Can you share an example of this approach to risk management, either from your insurance practice or from other parts of Willis Towers Watson? Things like project administration uh, in the construction space, very, very large, massive projects. We take on a lot of the logistics around the project administration, all the subcontractors, and then all the other kind of components of insurance and related issues. You would see us 20 or 30 years ago, we were just talking about getting project insurance placed by way of example. Today, you know, we're talking about how do we bend that cost curve and that risk curve from a, a from what used to be maybe seven, eight, nine percent of project costs. And now we're talking about numbers two, three percent. And then here are the mechanics you can go through to actually drive that further down. And then you, you know, we do tons of contract review, which it's you know, not insurance contract review. It's like you're signing, you're signing a big consulting arrangement with, let's say, and you know, obviously a client. What are the what are the process implications around how you've brought that contract together? How does that knit together with, say, your professional liability insurance? And in some cases, firms that of a certain scale, those are enormous decisions they're making. You know, when they're doing say several hundred million dollar projects. You know, what I would say, and you're seeing this in the construction space, and it would it would it surprised me as I've walked into it in the last couple of years. You know, we're actually talking to the whole ecosystem of large infrastructure projects. And that's everything from financing to the sponsor to all the different lawyers and consultants and just say, listen, this the way we're building infrastructure in the world is a little bit broken right now. And the, the problem with that is it's keeping money from getting to necessary infrastructure. The investment return's not there. There's too much risk and the margins are way too thin. And part of what we've were through consensus with all these participants, we're at the table talking about how do we orchestrate this process or running of the project better so that we can de-risk these projects, we can make them returns more reliable, and as a result, we bring more capital into the construction business. Um, and again. I couldn't have imagined talking about that 30 years ago when I broke into sort of insurance and trying to place uh, directors and officers liability for uh, savings and loans in the United States. That's uh, that's quite the the story arc. And what I'm gathering from our conversation so far, Eric, is that whereas maybe before the the insurance world and um, and brokers were much more focused on the products and on the transactions, things have become more holistic. So it's almost like using risk as a lens to look at a business and provide not just advisory in terms of what insurance products do you need, but how can I, as an advisor, better help you use that risk um, in other parts of your business? That's a very good way of, uh, of expressing it. You know, there are things, and some of this advisory work wasn't a... Um, I wouldn't describe it as like we just, you know, a light switch changed and we decided, okay, now we need to be advisors. What happened, and and, and there's different nuance of this in, in all of our businesses, but uh, in order to be competitive, uh, as we were seeking the transaction business, we kind of subtly became advisors because we started to realize that be- was a very important part of the conversation for someone to trust you with, you know, the transaction work. Um, and that, you know, the early stages of quantitative work came in because competitively, in order to sort of take a, maybe a complex situation to market or a mid-sized situation to market, 
you you needed more tools to explain to a client why they were risky or why they weren't risky. Um, or you know, uh, we have a business around um, you know what is you know we call it security business. It, it deals it deals with kidnap ransom in parts of the world. And and as much as we we sell insurance and services in the event somebody might be sort of you know abducted, you know someone said in a, in a sort of wry sort of way, you know we we then we realized you know our clients would much rather never get abducted than have to worry about the insurance. And I mean and we you know that kind of stuff is coming into the business. It's always been around the business, but making it approachable for clients is sometimes more difficult and we're just getting better and better at it. But it's important because, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I, you, you either live in, a, more than likely you live in an apartment or a house. I have, I have a house back in the U.S. And, you know, at, at the end of the day, you just don't want the problem of, say, a fire in your house. Um, and not because the insurance won't respond, but because everything else around it is really, really kind of, you know, a pain. Uh, you just have to go through this massive sort of project on your own. So avoiding problems and making people feel like you're doing that in a way that's valuable to them, I think is critical. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think the world will be able to through data, you know, there are examples now where more sophisticated uh, data and analytics will allow us to maybe take two types of risk and correlate them against each other, maybe more like the financial markets do today. And maybe allow certain clients who want to get in, in that kind of equation, uh, you know, an ability to offset risk, you know, wash it against one or another, and then maybe further optimize a portfolio. But, you know, that's a 10 or 15 year trajectory that, uh, you know, I, I may or may not be uh, on this uh, podcast by that time, but I'd like to see it happen. We'll have you back in the 10 or 15 years, Eric. We can wax, <laughs> Thank you. wax uh, reminiscent <laughs> about this one. <laughs> Um, so I'd, I'd love to take a look at, we've sort of hinted at this idea of disruption. I, that word is horribly overused, but for <laughs> lack of a better term, the disruption that's taking place in the insurance industry today. I'm wondering what that means for brokers in particular. And you've mentioned speed and this need to respond quickly, but maybe at the cost of context or narrative arc. Uh, you've talked about access to data and analytics, which can enable an innovation, but you know, could also be really overwhelming if you're not prepared to deal with it. Uh, what are some of these these current challenges and opportunities within the on the broker side of things? Yeah, um, I think no, I think you describe it pretty well. Uh, from my point of view, still you describe it well. It uh, it's a great opportunity for us. In more cases, it is just like the example I gave you earlier about the last thirty years where we, what we were doing in placement and broking as we've moved to perhaps more of an advisory role, that other work never went away. I see a lot of similarities uh, you know, in, in, in disruption for us, meaning uh, for the most part, this actually creates new markets and new places for, to, for us to express ourselves, work for clients, um, you know, bring value, but it also, it doesn't necessarily eliminate the sort of the, what's going on today. And, and, and the thing, as I look at disruption, and, and it's always interesting to talk about a simpler message. And if you talk about insurance, say like you talk about banking, the you know it's a very easy mistake. And the mistake is not that we're both in financial services, and disruption will both affect us. And it's probably these I would say banking sort of going through that process first before insurance. But 
you know, insurance, even, even in the corporate and mid-corporate space where we're in, uh, for the most part, it, it actually operates in hundreds, if not thousands of segments. Um, and a lot of where the disruption occurs is at those permutations of hundreds and thousands, not at the industry level. And, and it happens first and foremost, it's nothing's going to be disrupted unless a client thinks it's a good idea. Um, and, you know, it happens first in the client sets at uh, industry by what I mean by that is disruption. You know, the construction industry and insurance will disrupt at a different pace than the banking industry of insurance will disrupt or the technology. And then thirdly, geography matters in our space. And it's not just because, you you know, it's a property insurance and a property is a physical location that that does matter. It, it does change by geography. But, it, you know, you operate in different regulatory environments and countries and things like that. So the, the way we look at it is, you know, really trying to break these things down to the, to the a relevant enough segment uh, that disruption can occur and, and then make that work at that level. It sounds like you're describing disruption not as this nebulous market force, but as something that happens at the intersection of business segments. Can you share an example of what this looks like in practice? You think about automobile insurance, you know, you could say North America, you'd see in the U.S. It's a very digital business today. Um, the U.S. statistic is something like almost 80 percent of the stuff um, is done through the Internet now. Now, what you what you might miss in that in all that st- in those statistics is the time for auto insurance to change in the U.S. with largely the same mechanics and to some degree an ability to be digital has taken almost 10 to 15 years. Okay, so that's the deepest penetrating, fastest moving piece of disruption in the US. And there's lots of interesting tangents to this with automated, you know, kind of the sharing economy, automation, automated driving and stuff like that. But if you just move from the automobile space in a consumer environment, you go to the SME space, what you're gonna see there is people, clients, they're usually entrepreneurs, they're not doing work you know, between nine and five, they want simple, fast sort of access to, hey, I need insurance. Here's my information. Can I get an answer like immediately, which is true. Um, but they also want, you know, some people have said, I'll make that completely digital and I'll just, you know, I'll destroy the insurance agent. Um, most people, because uh, I've seen people walk back from that is, you know, they want a semi-digital experience. The clients do. So as much as I want a simple offer and to know what my options are, I, I'm, I'm fundamentally dealing with kind of a complicated product, and I want somebody at that last moment to walk me through a little context. But what is happening in that space is a lot of the stuff is going digital, and then that forces some reset in the you know how you invest in technology if you're focused on an SME uh, segment versus maybe the large and complex segment where we play. And then, but it does allow you to start observing how your clients work digitally or how they interact with you, meaning. There's lots of amazing things that Google can see and Facebook can see and Amazon can see about customer behavior. And if you get out of some of the darker rhetoric that, that, that pops up, in that data, there's, there's, there's wonderful ways to improve, improve the client experience. And so you're seeing some of those groups getting pretty good at that. And if you flip over to where we're at, I mean, we're in the highly custom space. That doesn't mean it's not being disrupted. It's just some of this new technology is allowing us to sort of increase our ability to serve, serve digitally and sort of through people simultaneously. We're able to get better and deeper on, you know, 
if you think of a Fortune 50 company and they want to think about risk and really kind of think about how they infect that, we're able to get into that in a much different way than we were 10 years ago. Um, we can see price arbitrage, you know, between the identical product in two different markets um, very quickly now, where before that uh, was more of a rumor to exist and that that's great. We can take uh, advantage of that for our clients. We can bring transparency to our clients that was difficult 10 years ago. That's terrific. And then, you know, by the way, we can still, a lot of the disruption is helping the administrative side of our business get more efficient, whether it's by, you know, being more technological, um, using less people, or just being less, uh, more effective, less error prone, things like that. But again, we use that construct to talk about insure tech and technology and how all this is affecting us because until you're at that kind of segment intersection, you're, you're, you're probably talking about the issue in way too a macro context that doesn't apply very easily to any part of the, any corner of the industry, if that makes any sense. It does. And we've mentioned uh, challenges and opportunities, and they tend to be kind of, you know, two sides of the same coin. Uh, With the number of changes that are happening right now, the speed of changes, and you've mentioned regulatory environments and geography, uh, I'm wondering, and obviously this will depend on which segments we're talking about, but from a broker standpoint, to keep up with the different, the changing regulatory environment, both that regulates their work as well as policies coming down from the individual insurers as they try to respond to those shifts in the marketplace. Can you comment on on that? Maybe splitting that between sort of the the consumer and SME level versus the corporate level where Willis Towers Watson is operating. I mean, first, it, it it's a good thing, and and you, you know we we need to we operate in we operate in hundreds of countries, and we have to honor that very sincerely. I think, you know, it is from, you know, if I just take the the sort of window of, you know, the last 20 or 30 years, it's certainly a more expensive environment to operate in, just to have that properly controlled and understood. It also, you know, it creates a bit of confusion because you can imagine you've got a lot of, you've got a lot of, you know, different regulators, different locations, uh, people, human beings with different points of view. Um, you know, what I do see, though, which is good is, you know, I think, on the consumer side, I see a more and more of an opening of the, of the regulators to an environment of simplest protection for the consumer, but simplicity in the transaction. Not everyone's getting it right, but the, the, you know, it's the direction of travel is correct. And I think that you know, if you want to have a highly efficient market, um, you know, at some point, you know, it can't just be, hey, here is a, a technological comparison machine, and it just spits out a few things that, you know, will let you make a decision. Um, you need a better sense of what you're buying and what it does and how you need to interact with that product if something goes bad, things like that. So we'll never get it perfect, but it's going in a nice, it's going in a nice place. And um, so I think that's great. You know, on the, on the complex side of things, um, you know, on the one hand, uh, we get a lot of scrutiny. You know, there was a FCA in the UK just released a report on, you know, broker, kind of the broker market and the, the London market, wholesale market here, which, you know, generally was, was um, I think we received it pretty well. Um, but it's also laid out a lot of things that, you know, I think over my career, what I, uh, I would just contrast when I first joined insurance, there, there were, there are conflicts of interest. And, in, you know, when you're trading things, 
and just being able to manage those conflicts appropriately because they do need to be managed. They can't all be eliminated um, is important. Um, and so, you know, how we, how we manage those, how we manage those conflicts, how we talk about those conflicts, how we train people on those conflicts and uh, you know, how we explain the business, which was maybe very intransparent um, 20 or 30 years ago into versus how we explain it today. It's important. You know, we have clients and they have absolutely every right to understand how it, how it works, how the market comes together, um, how we're compensated and things like that. So I think all that's healthy because, you know, to, to some degree, once you make that part very efficient and understood, it lets you have a better and a more trusted conversation about your advice, where, where else you could stretch some of these principles. You know, if you can't get to the trust, you're going to be in a pretty transactional place, consumer or corporate. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, I've been a big fan of a lot of these things. And, and, and during my career, I've had from time to time, you know, you get brought into this stuff because not everything works as smoothly and perfectly as you would like it to when you're around, you know, tens of thousands of colleagues. Eric, thank you very much for taking the time to chat with us. I'm excited to continue our conversation in the next episode. I'm looking forward to it. That was the first part of my discussion with Eric Jost, Global Head of Property and Casualty at Willis Towers Watson. In the next episode, I get the straight talk on diversity and insurance, what innovation might look like, and what it all means for the insurance industry. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Accenture Insurance Influencers Podcast with your host, Igrana Yu. To hear all the episodes from Season 1, visit Accenture.com slash Insurance Influencers.